In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. Hello and welcome back to part two of the conversation with Soph from Asian Soph and Mixed Present. We're going to talk some history about Asian Americans and their history with African Americans and about some other Asian American Pacific Islander groups that you might not have heard much about. So let's just get into it. But yeah, but if we could come together as a whole unit and acknowledge each other and talk about our own issues within our community, but also understand how we have been pitted against each other, we could literally turn this bitch up. Excuse my language. I think I've sworn already, though. But we (laughs) literally and... I think there's something very powerful in colorism across all races. I mean, it's very prevalent in the Hispanic community. It's also very prevalent in the black community as well. So yes, colorism is a massive problem. And that is a whole other thing for another day. Yeah, I mean, we can literally, maybe we should do a whole episode on colorism, man. Like, literally just the idea that is birthed out of a colonizer mindset. Oh, absolutely. I want to talk about skin whitening because, I mean, you've seen my skin tone. Even I, for a while, was like, oh my gosh, my skin's so dark. (laughs) (laughs) Really? Yes. (laughs) I go, I, anyone who's seen my picture is probably thinking that I'm insane but there was a period of time where I was like my skin is so brown and dirty and I should maybe lighten it and my Filipino friend's mom gave me some papaya soap oh wow and I was like what am I doing (laughs) yeah girl oh my god I would have been like stop that right now (laughs) (laughs) it was like a very 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 brief period in my life and I'm glad it's over. <laughs> mm, yeah, I'm glad too, girl. My God, you're li- you're really light. That's interesting that you say that. You know, I forget that I'm light until I'm around other people or outside. But if I'm by myself, oh yeah, wait, you didn't? Did you grow? You didn't grow up in an area with a lot of black people, did you? You grew up with a lot of white people. Yeah, that's why. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, it's hard to escape it. Yeah, but I lived. and went to school mostly on the white side so I I don't know to me I just stuck out and then I forget that I'm actually really light until I'm around other people or you know Mm -hmm. and I think that's a common thing when it comes to mixed people people think that just because you know if we're mixed with white let's say not all mixed people are mixed with white but let's just say we are a lot of people always want to say we have this proximity to whiteness but i'm like you realize white people don't look at me and say she's a white girl absolutely that's not acceptance very few people think that i'm white actually i just had to not really fight but discuss passionately with my doctor's office because i know it you know, now all doctor's offices have like apps and stuff. Mm-hmm. I noticed that my race after appointments kept switching back and forth. Wait, they only selected one? Yeah, there's in, in Michigan, there is no mixed option. <laughs> I, I, I could be other if I wanted, but I don't want to be other. If that is not on brand. Ain't that about a bitch? <laughs> I thought, wait, isn't that normal? Because Arkansas doesn't have a mixed either. Uh, girl those states need to get with it i mean no that's 
Well, apparently, apparently there are other states that have mixed, but you don't you don't have a two or more race option? No, you have to pick one. And I talked oh. to the nurse today and I was like, um, hi, I couldn't help but notice that my chart keeps changing. And, you know, when I die, <laughs> <laughs> people are going to be really confused. Maybe we should pick one or can we put mixed, please? And she looks at me and she goes, I didn't. Are people not asking you your race when you go to your appointment? And I said, no. And she said, well, that I guess they're assuming. Okay, cool. But is there a mixed option? No, you just have to pick one. She's like, if, if I had to ask you, what race would you say? And I just looked at her. Bitch! I was like, I don't know. What don't do you take want? somebody's blood pressure. Oh my God. Useless. She asked me what I wanted to be. I was like, just leave it. I It's fine. Oh, girl. No, I would have been like, no, you should. Uh, I'm not picking one. This if this is not symbolic. Oh, my God. That's so annoying. It's happened my whole life. And now I, I don't have my Michigan state license thing yet. Now I'm afraid to go to the DMV. Well, it's not the DMV here. It's the SO, at social. I don't know. The office that gives you your driver's license. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's not called the call- DMV. Oh, it's so annoying because in mass, they call it the RMV here. Oh my gosh. No, here it's like the SOS or something. Save our soul. Social office. <laughs> thing. I, I don't know. I SOS for me because I don't know where to get this card. But uh, now I'm afraid to go and get my license because I'm like, great. Who gets to decide my race today? Yeah. Oh, God. Like, can we talk about Jesse Williams for a second? Yes how i used to look up to this man and then he went on oh no what did he do i thought i thought we were still good with him oh girl not in my book he went down a few notches you know jesse williams went on sway in the morning and i was with him up until the end and he was talking about me and all the other admins were talking about it and he was basically talking about marijuana and the black community no no he everything he was saying was great i i recommend that portion of what he said but then he got asked at the end about being biracial and he literally had the most shit response i've ever seen in my life he literally was just like i'm not here for the tragic mulatto story i'm just here for the yeah he was like i'm here for the betterment i'm not even kidding that's a direct quote tragic mulatto story you can't talk about black history without talking about mulattoes by the way and i don't even use that word so the fact that he's that word i I just uh, i don't know i don't know like he's pulling a kanye west on us what is happening he was just like i grew up with privilege i did i have light eyes i have light skin i get treated better than other people and this is my experience um and so i'm talking about the betterment of black people and everything he was saying sounded like he was pandering to non-mixed blacks or blacks that don't identify as mixed wow like you could see him literally trying to fight the whiteness within him that is so sad and i'm not saying don't talk about the fact that there are white people who literally look at mixed people and say oh you're a watered down version of a black person you're a watered down version of an asian person you're more accessible to me it's fine to talk about your proximity to whiteness because that does exist that is a thing racism in this country obviously means that that exists however that was his time to talk about how that experience has like shaped his life and how it has made him be able to be empathetic and look at things from different perspectives and to talk about that but the fact that there are literally there's this hostility that divides us as a community i mean at the end of the day mixed blacks they belong to the same diaspora as black people yeah and as non-mixed black people i should say because mixed blacks are black 
<laughs> that's not up for debate. But <laughs> just like mixed Asians are Asians, yes. that's also not up for debate. That's the thing. But anyway, so, you know, that was his time to really take a moment and speak about his experiences, how he went about navigating his privilege exactly doing all of that and it's hypocritical at the end of the day that he was speaking about the betterment of the collective but was like i have these five focuses and my lights my light skin struggle ain't it and for him to have to be on sway in the morning okay for him to have this platform and to be this representation whether he likes it or not is damaging to those who have looked up to him for help in figuring out their own identity and their own place in the african diaspora and saying that just because you're light skin, you don't experience reactions or racism is appalling. Yeah, that's basically what he was implying. And, you know, if you talk about the betterment for all, mental health and acceptance is a part of that. And he was just like, I understand what it was, what's it's, what it's like to maybe exist between two worlds, but that's like not the worst thing, basically. And, you know, and he was talking about how he had a family that coexisted with one another and it was fine. And he grew up sailing in the summer and, you know, having a fun life and blah, blah, this, blah, blah, that. But his dad is a proud black man and, you know, always wanted to make sure that he was thinking about the black community and the betterment and the uplift of the black community. And, you know, lucky him that he had two sides that could co existing yeah i mean that's great but he was denying this identity in a sense pretty much denying that the quote-unquote tragic mulatto story ain't his jam yikes he was dismissive and he and then he goes on a hugely popular show to talk about this many people who listen and watch are of the people of color community and this now feeds their ideas of mixed people and encourages them to be dismissive of it themselves because they already are we already have to fight for our identities and Yes, it's not the worst thing in the world to be mixed. No one's out here saying that this is the worst struggle and that everyone should focus on this. But our struggle is there and it should be acknowledged. We do exist in an in-between sometimes and be that's because people put us there. Mm-hmm. No one asked to, to be put there. Yeah. At the end of the day, I consider myself a full member of each of my different ethnicities as do not I. a half not a piece and people just consider me not full members i need to talk about why that's problematic yeah. and he literally talked about being sensitive to blacks mixed people being sensitive to blacks and he did not have that same energy and that same level for mixed people you know i actually responded to something on our page in regards to this because someone tagged in another account i forget the name of the account honestly and basically it was run by an asian person who was basically saying very similar stuff about mixed asians and there's this idea out there that we have it easier and that we don't get treated bad but it's just a different problem yeah we we acknowledge it's not necessarily no problem Exactly. And it's not necessarily no problem. It's just a different problem. Right. And most of us acknowledge that we do have either light skin privilege. Some of us don't. Like my youngest sister is very dark. So she's mixed, but she doesn't have the same privilege that I do. What about her? Mm -hmm. Not all mixed people are white passing. That's right. the problem. And not all mixed people are mixed with white either. A lot of people are like just basically want us to talk about our proximity to whiteness all day we need to have deeper discussions than that and i have more to the table that i want to bring than just that i'm not yes. talking about that all day i can acknowledge it and i can speak on it and i can use that proximity to help the community and this was jesse williams's chance to basically do something with that and he literally took the baton and fucking threw it in the woods <laughs> i'm pissed i'm upset <laughs> with him i'm I'm, I'm I can't there with you. That. I understand. It's very disappointing that he did that. 
if it was you in that position, what would you have talked about? Well, um, I think the question posed was around confusion in identity. And I would have just answered the question, but then I would have then brought in that we have a different struggle than you know, I'm not black, but if I were him, I would have just brought in that we have a different struggle. Yeah. He could have said what he was trying to say without being an ass about it. He was an ass. Well, we're all on a journey. Maybe maybe he needs to take a little walk mentally. <laughs> I don't even know, man. I, I get what he was saying, but it's just it's like when Kanye West said slavery was a choice. That's not really what he was trying to say, but that's what he said. Oh, man, the whole situation. I understand misspeaking because when you're on camera or recording, you don't get like a do over. No, you don't. But And people look like that. Not everyone isn't great at articulating ideas. And I get that, too. But we just people who have a platform need to be careful with what they say because people are listening and everyone's in a different place in their journey and identity. And you don't want to be damaging to someone's path to acceptance. Well said, sister. We go on a church. <laughs> I, I will step off my podium now. No, we're <laughs> on the soapbox today. My soap box, as I like to call it. I'll just change my podcast name now. This is a soapbox. Some kind of soap. <laughs> yeah, some kind of soap. Uh, <laughs> it has a nice ring to it. But yeah, and that's yeah, I'm just not going to give any more attention to the Jesse Williams situation, but you know, that I was in my feels about. I was quite in my feels about that. But I thought I would um take some time to throw some stats out. Okay. Cool. All right. So, a big thing is the AAPI community makes up one of the fastest growing racial groups in the United States. It's one third of the 1 million immigrants who entered the US annually. Approximately 16.6 million live in the U.S., making up approximately 5.4% of the population. Represents like 30 countries that speak more than 100 different languages, yet different languages. We all don't speak Asian. So <laughs> stop asking me that. And then between the years 2000 and 2010, the population grew by 43% from 10.5 million to 15.2 million. And by 2050, it's estimated that AAPI will make up 9.7% of the total U.S. population or around 40 million people. Okay, just so you have an idea about how prevalent we are in this country, okay? I mean, we've been prevalent, but you know yeah apparently it hasn't been a thing until recently in a gallup poll 30 to 31 percent of aapi survey surveyed reported incidents of employment discrimination the largest of any racial group wow. african-americans constitute the second largest at 26 percent aapis only filed about two to three percent of the total employment discrimination complaints received by the equal employment opportunity commission against private employers in terms of housing, so this is where we talk about the model minority myth, because according to a study undertaken by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, one in five AAPIs experience discrimination in the rental and home buying process. That includes certain things like redlining. Yeah. You want to talk about that for a second? Or I don't know if some everyone knows what redlining is. Maybe we should probably just briefly outline it because that affects a lot of different ethnic groups as well. Okay, so it's often racially associ associated. Let's say, for example, okay, I'll, I'll use a tangible example. And this is, I'll use a real life example. 
I had a professor in college. He was my minority group relations professor. He was a white guy. He went bike. He was telling us in class one day about his wife is a Latina woman. And he was like, okay, so when he would go with the real estate agent, they would show him certain areas of Providence. And I could name them, but they're, I don't know if anyone really know them, but they're considered the nice areas of Providence, right? Nice where the colleges are, where the money is, that sort of thing. When his wife would go, the Latina woman would go with the real estate agent. She was shown the shittier areas of Providence. Unfortunately, that's not the first time I've heard about something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, And redlining can be not just like housing related it can also be money related so people can literally be refused a loan or insurance Mm -hmm. because they live in an area deemed to be a poor financial risk again i say ain't that bad a bitch (laughs) and people think that all this is over yeah and this is where people are like but there's no discriminatory laws that exist and i'm like what are we (laughs) in the words of amanda seals what are we talking about what are we talking about? <laughs> it's <laughs> it's worked into the system and I think that's not I think that's something a lot of people don't understand. It's systemic. Yes, a lot of the laws and things that we have came from a time that was discriminatory and no one has changed them because they benefit certain people and they, that don't, wouldn't want it changed. Yes. So basically, this actually exists in Canada too. Canada everybody talks about how nice y'all are. You had internment camps too. <laughs> Redlining is the systemic denial of various services to residents of specific, often racially associated neighborhoods or communities, either directly or through the selective raising of prices. Definition from online. I actually do have Canadian listeners. Listen, Canadian listeners, I love you. Um, I'm closer to you now. Please don't come kill me. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not coming for the Canadians. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I love, love y'all you. too. Uh, <laughs> you're great. You have... Uh, Moose? Girl, they got more than that. Oh, girl, stop. They have more than that. (laughs) I don't know what Canada has. Have you been there? (laughs) No. Oh, my God. Canada's great. I've been to, oh, my God, Quebec, Montreal, Toronto. Let's see where else. All I know about Toronto is that it produced Lily Singh. So, God, Nova Scotia. Oh, my God. (laughs) Nova Scotia is so pretty. I just glossed over your comment. I was like, I know. Yeah. Listen, they got syrup, they got hockey, and Trudeau. Um, Well, yeah, also him, yeah. And First Nations. And Prince Edward Island. Prince Edward Island's really nice. Yeah, I mean, Canada's, Canada's dope. Canada's dope. I mean, take recycling more seriously than we do, so there's that too. But anyway. There you go, Canada. <laughs> Back to housing, APIs have suffered the largest percentage decline in home ownership of any racial group. This is where the model minority myth comes into play and where I can really highlight that it is, again, a myth. Because if we had the said stable socioeconomic status that everyone claims that we have and that we're not financially struggling, why is that the case? Right. But you know there's going to be people who are like, but... But wait, but, but wait, but, but wait. And I'm just like, please, 
there are some people who you can't give enough facts to. If Some people are just not ready to hear the truth and you can just give them facts all day and it'll just go straight over their heads. Yes, and for all those Candace Owens out there, I got this from a website that does end in a .gov. ObamaWhiteHouse.archives.gov, okay? There you go. So it's a credible site. It's not a .com, okay? Bury your receipts. So, again... <laughs> The high school dropout rate among Southeast Asian Americans is staggering. 40% of Hmong, 38% of Laotians, 35% of Cambodian populations do not complete high school. Only 14% of Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders 25 years of age and older have at least a bachelor's degree in comparison with 27% for the total population and 49% of the AA population. I knew that this is just... Oh. This is, I can't speak English. Statistics for Native Hawaiians were bad because there are some pro, uh, some programs I've seen that encourage further education. But I admit I wasn't aware of that. It, I would call it a crisis of sorts happening on the continent. That's insane. Yeah. Statistically, Asian Americans are less likely than non-Hispanic whites to hold a high school degree. Less likely. That's something that it goes against your model minority myth. Oh, absolutely. Just say. Is that all the stats I have? Uh, poverty. Asian Americans living below poverty, 12.6%. The U.S. average living below poverty is 12.4%. The poverty rates of Hmong, 37.8%. Cambodians, 29.3%. Laotians, 18.5%. Vietnamese, 16.6%. Now, I know personally I've had experience with that, and people don't expect that for Southeast Asians to be struggling. When I went to college in New Orleans, it was right after uh, the oil spill. Hmm. And I, I would tell you which oil spill, but let it be a testament <laughs> to how many times it happens that I don't remember the name, but this is like nine years ago. There's a large population of Vietnamese people. They fish and that's their livelihood. And so when that oil spill happened, we had fundraisers, we had to do all sorts of things because the the Vietnamese American community was suffering down there and it people didn't care. No one was talking about it. It was crazy. Mm. Again, I say the invisible Ugh. minority. So in regards again, you know, let me just throw a little history for, you know, yeah, my southeast Asians because I think it's it's incredibly important that we talk about this. You know, I got tons of Khmer brothers and sisters. They are my Asian brothers and sisters in arms, Cambodians for those who are not aware. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so during the Vietnam War, the United States dropped 2.7 million tons, tons of explosives in Cambodia. Literally bombed half the country. Hundreds of thousands of Khmer people fled the bombing and it turned many Cambodians against the U.S. cause and helped catalyze the Khmer Rouge regime, which was awful, awful. Yes, this is this is ISIS, man, all over again. I mean, I guess ISIS is the Khmer Rouge regime all over again. I guess something like that. But the U.S. getting involved in shit—it's not. You can't just drop bombs and not expect repercussions. This is why I, right now, currently, I am against any involvement in Venezuela until we address the humanitarian toll mm -hmm. and thailand and cambodia are still trying to recover because thailand was affected by that as well they're still recovering from these blows mm -hmm. exactly 
The U.S. had a hand in that creation. Just, yeah. just, just telling you. So, you know, because of that, a mass exodus of Khmer people came to the U.S. as refugees fleeing genocide. Fleeing genocide. Mm-hmm. Many struggled to adjust, making ends meet after this because they re- were forced to resettle in underserved neighborhoods. Okay, you know, obviously through that time, you cannot expect people to not have brewing frustration within themselves. Oh, absolutely. Maybe I, I don't condone violence and I don't condone breaking the law. I don't condone all that stuff, but I can understand it in certain circumstances. Because of that frustration, there were mistakes that were made. And a lot of people know that there is a lot of Cambodian gang gangs. I live in Boston. I live near Lowell. That's where like huge, huge amounts of Cambodians live there right now. Because of this, harsh crime laws in the 1990s expanded the list of deportable offenses for immigrants. So in 2017, <clears throat> came a new deportation push. Cambodia did resist this deportation. So the Trump administration responded. Again, the Trump administration responded by imposing visa sanctions. Cambodia eventually then agreed to accept their deportees. So this past year, this was 2018, right? So the U.S. deported more Cambodians than any other time in history. More ICE raids were scheduled to take place in this past January, too, as well. So, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is people don't know stuff like this. Again, I tell you, Cambodians fleeing mass genocide due to U.S. meddling in the Vietnam War. Yeah, and the rise of all these groups because of it. When we don't speak out against stuff like that, we perpetuate the model minority myth. This idea that we are all just that ideal minority and because we've stayed silent and we've not played the victim card and we've not done this, I'm not playing the victim card. I'm talking about real history. I'm talking about real things. That's not being a victim. I'm not saying don't work hard. I'm not saying none of that stuff. I am saying everybody's got to be self-aware and everybody's got to know the history. It's, Which brings me to my other point. Oh, sorry. I'm just talking so much. It's okay. All of these things are important. And the reason why we have is so that your knowledge can be spread. Because I don't know all these things. I mean, I'm familiar with some of them, but it's important to have people in the community speaking on these things too. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree. You know, e- just to even keep going on that, in 2018, the Trump administration, they had ramped up their deportation of Cambodians. And also news had brokered during that time that it attempted to renegotiate the U.S.-Vietnam repatriation agreement during talks in December of this past year. So an existing 2008 agreement had prohibited the deportation of Vietnamese refugees and immigrants who arrived before 1995. So when the U.S. and Vietnam had reestablished diplomatic relationships, but the White House had decided to reinterpret the agreement and decided to seek to make deportable thousands of Vietnamese refugees who arrived before 1995 who have been convicted of crimes in the U.S. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And then previously, it was found out that the U.S. had basically strong-armed Cambodia to resume that accepting of deported refugees that I had talked about because mm-hmm. they placed visa sanctions on Cambodian foreign officials. Oh, my God. Ain't, again, I say, ain't that about a bitch? 
And you know what? I, I got to give it out to my Vietnamese Americans because Vietnamese American activists mobilized through the Vietnamese Anti-Deportation Network, it's a, which is a, a national network of grassroots organizations to oppose these renegotiations. And they gathered signatures and petitioned. Hundreds gathered for this protest in Little Saigon, Orange, Orange County as well in December. And they pressured the administration to abandon its efforts. And the founder of Asians and Pacific Islander Reentry of Orange County, I'm going to, I'm so sorry, I'm going to probably not say this right, but his name's Tung Nguyen, said to the crowd that those threatened by the deportation change have lived and worked as law-abiding citizens for decades. And if these people are targeted for deportation, they will suffer. They have wives and children here, and they are members of the community. He had referred to the deportation push as not humane, which obviously... Agreed. Same. <laughs> I'm glad somebody stood up and tried to come against this because these are the things that are not in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important to speak out about that stuff because, you know, a lot of I know there was a bit of a generational split between the older and younger Vietnamese generations. Yeah. In terms of speaking out about this stuff. But I think it's important that we all make it a big deal because if we don't unify as people, and this is where I have a problem sometimes with the younger generations, it's they don't always understand the history. And I'm not saying I'm old. I mean, I'm 26, but. And I can't blame them because. Yeah. Yeah, I can't blame them because in order to know about these things, the reason I know about Khmer Rouge, the reason I know about some of those things is because I researched on my own. I watched a documentary on the rise of learning traditional Cambodian dance, which was almost lost completely because of that regime. Like These things aren't taught in school. In order for you to know your history, you either have to have a parent or a friend who's educating you or you have to be motivated to educate yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think while, you know, you and I are here, here's a little fun fact for y'all. Asian Americans have the highest poverty rate in New York City, but because of the model minority myth and stereotypes, this issue is invisible. And I'm just going to concentrate on this, but we have high rates of poverty throughout this country. You know, a lot of people think of Asian Americans as doctors, lawyers, bankers. I mean, I don't even think if they think of us as lawyers, but, you know, that sort of thing. Mostly doctors, I think pharmacists yeah (laughs) there's a whole other side to the asian american minority group that goes undiscussed so there's the elderly retired chinatown restaurant worker who has limited savings and must share an apartment with several other people Mm -hmm. there's a cambodian refugee dealing with the trauma from living in a war-torn country partially due to the u.s and trying to start over in the Bronx with limited English. And there are many others who have yet to see their American dreams come true. A lot of Asian Americans who come here, my father being one of them, they cannot afford to have a dream. They start from scratch. They don't have generational wealth. Yeah, and we can't forget the fact that we have Native Hawaiians who are being pushed off their own land, pushed off. Yes! Moving uh-huh. on, like, their traditional lands. And no one's talking about it because it's a resort. It's being treated as this luxury place. But there are people who live there and have lived there. And that is completely ignored. Islands like Hawaii and even just other islands that exist in the Pacific Islanders, like the Solomon Islands, Fiji, they are not for exploitation of tourism. People live there, just like you said. These are people's homes. 
we need to be aware of that. I mean, and this doesn't even just expand in the AAPI community. This expands all around. Like how many people go to the Dominican Republic and stay on a fancy resort? How many people go to Jamaica and stay on a fancy resort? There's a reason why we go there and we are like, oh, it's so beautiful here. This resort is so nice, blah, blah, blah. But we don't experience the real country because it's there's violence, because there's poverty, because it's still a developing nation. Mm -hmm. That's colonization in the present day. Absolutely. And it's silent almost because no one's talking about it. I mean, Native Hawaiians are trying to get their story out there, but people aren't listening. Mm -hmm, exactly. And, you know, I think anything we can do to try to educate ourselves on that and to be a part of it. I mean, it's it takes two seconds to sign a petition, y'all. Literally. Change.org. If you're looking to find a place to get started, if there are issues you care about and you don't know what to do, change.org. It, this is not sponsored, obviously, <laughs> is one of those places that you can go and get started and sign petitions. And what I love about change.org is if you sign a petition and it works, it affects change, they will let you know. And at the end of the year, they show you all these things that came about because of the petitions that were signed. There are ways for you to get involved mm -hmm. if you look for them. Yeah. Exactly. And do your research on Asian American history. And that's all Asia, all Asia, Southwest, Southeast, all that. Oh my goodness. Like just, there's so much to even know, but I, I do want to talk about moments and incidents where the AAPI community and the black community have come together. Okay. I'm all for that. <laughs> well, well, I want to, you know, talk about some people to know about. Well, I mean, before we even go in there, I want to obviously honor someone who I look up to a lot. His name was Fred Korematsu. He was a national civil rights hero. When he was 23. He refused to go to the government's in incarceration camps for the Japanese Americans. He was arrested and convicted of defying the government's orders. He eventually was able to appeal his case all the way to the Supreme Court. And in 1944, the Supreme Court ruled against him, arguing that the incarceration was justified due to military necessity. Oh my gosh. Yes, y'all. Yes, y'all. And I was excited when you said I went to the Supreme Court and I sh I shouldn't have been. I got Oh girl. Early. It's like that <laughs> it's like that scene in Get Out where we're right at the end and he just kills the girl finally and then the cop car pulls up. No, no, no. Stop, 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 stop. No spoilers. <laughs> oh my god, wait. You haven't like Well, I'm not No. Girl, it's been out for so long. No, you have you've lost that window, but I'm not giving anything away. I'm just saying a cop car pulls up and it's that feeling of oh shit, you know? You're not even happy for him. Listen, I am afraid to watch it because anytime there's like a movie that deals with racial things i come away angry <laughs> so, oh hell yeah but to go back to korematsu-san he was convicted in 1944 right and no on november 10th 1983 it was finally overturned in federal court in san francisco and it was a pivotal moment in civil rights history he had a 40 year old case on the basis of government misconduct you know, throughout his life, he remained an activist. In 1998, he received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the nation's highest civilian honor from Bill Clinton. Wow. And in 2010, the state of California passed the Fred Korematsu Day Bill, making January 30th the first day in the U.S. named after an Asian American. My, oh, I love it. He has a growing legacy, continues to inspire people of all backgrounds and demonstrates the importance of speaking up to fight against injustice. So I look up to him a lot. Absolutely. That's an incredible story. I mean, awful as well, but mm -hmm. my goodness. I want to talk about my girl, Yuri Kochiyama. That's Yuri Kochiyama, in case anyone <laughs> help with that. <laughs> 
was a prominent activist for the Asian American community and the Black Power Movement. She was labeled a ringleader of Black nationalists and a red Chinese agent in FBI files. Oh, wait, I believe I've heard about her. Oh, I just did a million posts on her, by the way, on Mixed Present and on my page. But yeah, a red Chinese agent, China, Japan, two different countries, y'all. Again, I say, ain't that bad a bitch. By the FBI! Anyway, anyway. She was labeled this for speaking out against the internment of Japanese during World War II, and she was one of the many rounded up to be placed in the internment camps during that time. She became an ally in the Black Power Movement after meeting Malcolm X and participating in sit-ins and had Freedom Riders come and speak at her apartment. She is actually the unidentified Asian woman putting Malcolm X's head in her lap after he was gunned down. Yes, their friendship has inspired me in many ways to be an ally to all marginalized groups and to speak out and the importance of what can happen when we come together you know she was able to give access to blacks she opened up her apartment to have people come and speak and gather and i think that that's what we need to be doing for each other solidarity another example 1968, the Black Student Union and the Third World Liberation Front at San Francisco State University launched a student strike that, despite police repression and violence, would lead to the establishment of the first Black Studies Department and the first Ethnic Studies Department in the country. That's amazing. Yeah, and that year also saw the first articulation of Asian American political identity and the emergent field of Asian American studies. 50 years since that establishment, there are many who are revisiting the legacy of the Third World Liberation Front and the field of ethnic studies. Questions, you know, continue. Is it possible to institutionalize a field without losing its radical, oppositional, and community-oriented politics? Has ethnic studies been successfully co-opted by the multicultural facade of neoliberal institutions of higher learning? What are the limits of identity-based fields like Asian American studies and what processes of racialization, empire, and settler colonialism do they obscure? More info can be found on about this stuff online, but I think it's really important that we know about what has come from us coming together as a community. I mean, those are just a couple of examples, but, you know, there's so so many incidents of Asian activism and, you know, for the model minority myth to say that we don't speak out is false, but it's because a lot of us are not speaking out. There's a Japanese saying, the nail that sticks out gets hit with the hammer. You know, that's not just, I think, exclusive to just Japan. That is very common amongst Asia. That idea of, let me just keep my head down. Yeah. Let me be like everybody else. And I think it's difficult because a lot, you know, Asians come from very homogenous countries. So it's easy to think you can be like everyone else. We will not ever be like white people. We will never ever be that regardless of what we do. And I think that now people are really starting to get that. And, you know, when we don't remember our history and we don't talk about it, it leads to history repeating itself. Right before the Muslim ban, they talked about a Muslim registry. The Japanese were able to be interned because of a Japanese registry. And, you know, it's just important that we, again, talk about this. Again, the model minority myth is not our friend and we need to debunk that. I think we've t- we've gone a long way to debunking that. <laughs> no, if only we could make everyone listen to it. Mm-hmm, exactly. And you know what? Black people were among our first allies for the AAPI community. You know, before there was this fear of all brown people for cheap labor and drug dealers and terrorists, there was a fear of Asian immigrants that went on for centuries. 
we were the quote unquote Asian invasion. We were the quote unquote yellow peril. Yeah. To be honest, fuck it. I'll be the yellow peril. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> we were the threats of cheap labor of foreign enemies at home. That's how we were perceived by the United States and generally all Western society. Even you, Canada. <laughs> Again, we love you. <laughs> Asian women were particularly very targeted with this, you know, unique Asian blend of misogyny and racism, especially with the Page Act of 1875. That meant the end of the danger of cheap Chinese labor, labor and immoral Chinese women. And the part about immoral Chinese women generally meant any Asian woman who could possibly be a, be a sex worker. They were forced through subjective tests and trials designed and proctored by different white men on a case-by-case basis. Certain things like, are you married? Like, based on how pretty they are. How do they walk? Wow. Yeah. So, for centuries, Asian people were targeted by dozens of laws from the Page Act of 1875, the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, um, National Origins Act of 1924, the Immigration Restriction Act of 1917. Look it all up. It's there. And with a large number of Asian women prevented from entering the United States, the majority Asian of Asian men were alone without support as they worked for nearly nothing on plantations and railroad tracks. Their only support were black people working next to them. So together, the Asian and black folks were subjected to an abuse of their labor and they watched images of themselves basically be mocked through the entire era's entertainment do you remember the movies i'm sure people don't but the movies that came out yeah who were the villains up until recently i'd say Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very recent shift but people like to conveniently forget that we are intertwined black women especially provided emotional labor and love to disenfranchised asian men in the 1880s the census saw that 57% of interracial marriages at the time were between Chinese men and black women. I actually did not know that. Hmm. Yes. And black people have also died for our own civil rights. In the 1960s, immigration rights were finally expanded and Asian people were able to freely be with their loved ones. And of course, you know, our civil rights were gained from the blood and sweat of black people. You know, it goes way beyond like immigration and stuff like that black people when they were rallying their troops to their own causes they were helping all people of color and i think that we need to think about that we really need to take that in and remember that for them beginning to try to access the promise of equal rights in legal and political and social and cultural aspects of society they were doing that for all people of color yeah so while people try to justify the shooting of unarmed black men and white supremacy and everyday acts of, you know, anti-blackness, black people rush to our side in solidarity. And, you know, there have been instances of Asians doing the same thing, but we need to remember that using the model minority myth and using stereotypes about Asians and stereotypes against blacks, there is meant to be a divide between us as people. And I think we need to start connecting those dots. Because if you look at even black pop culture history, there's a lot of Asian influence there. We got more in common than people would think. And I know um, I've talked about in episodes, I don't know if I talked about on your podcast, but I have mentioned, I talk a lot about it on the podcast that I was just on that just came out today. Shameless plug, Yellow Ranger, go check it out. (laughs) But when you don't have your own representation, you go to the next most similar representation. And for Asians, a lot of the times it's black people. We need to be vocal about that. We need to talk about that. And I think really we need to be honest about how much change has been impacted because of certain acts in history where we have banded together to come together. 
it's gonna take working together again. I mean, us having this conversation, maybe hopefully inspiring other people to have these conversations. We just gotta knock down the walls one at a time. I'm so glad we got Soph back for these episodes. We always have a blast and both love getting down to the nitty gritty. Thank you Soph for coming with your Soph box and facts that were really interesting. You can find her on Instagram at Asian Soph and Mixed Present. And by the way, Soph and her fellow moderators for Mixed Present have a petition going where a mixed race or multiracial be labeled as such in the media. They're aiming for 100,000 signatures, so head on over to their page to check that out. As always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Some Kind of Brown. Leave a rate and review on iTunes to give a Pegasus its wings and grow our community. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song Love Life, and I'll see you later with some more Shades of Brown.